Welcome to Beyond Borders, the world's first talk show made especially for English learners and global citizens with me, your host, Ethan. In every episode of this show, it is my job to guide you outside of the classroom and into the real world with life-changing insights from some of the world's best teachers, language learners, innovators, and leaders, all here to help you unleash your highest potential in your English and your life. So if you are ready to join our movement of millions and together create a world beyond borders, then let's get started with the show. Lindsay from All Ears English is an American podcast host and producer and entrepreneur with more than 15 years of experience teaching English as a second language in Japan, Argentina, Guatemala, and the US. She believes in connection, not perfection, when it comes to learning English, and has inspired English language learners worldwide through her thriving podcast, All Ears English, which has been downloaded more than 200 million times. What's happening, ladies and gentlemen? This interview was so much fun. We started off talking about Lindsay's experience living abroad, particularly in Japan. If you are a perfectionist, then this will be great for you because Lindsay shared some things that helped her to overcome her own perfectionism in language learning. We also covered why it is so important to learn about the culture, not just the language, even if you don't plan to travel to another country. Lindsay and her colleagues are also IELTS experts, so if you plan to study for that exam, you will get some great tips here that can help you to reach your goals. We finished with a fun new game where you can pick up some new advanced vocabulary, and so much more. So without further ado, let's get into episode 10 of the Beyond Borders talk show. Lindsay, welcome to the show. Thanks, Ethan. I'm excited to be here. Likewise. It's so great to have you. I'm really excited to do this collaboration. You've been an inspiration for us in the podcasting world. So it's definitely an honor to get to speak to you face to face. Absolutely. I love being able to be in front of our audience, our learners, our listeners, and just to be here inspiring some students. Yes. Totally. And so I thought I'd start off. You've traveled all over the world, I saw. And (laughs) one of the places I've been on my travels that absolutely fascinated me was Japan, just because it's like so different. But uh, I think growing up, you know, with anime and Nintendo of all these things, it had like the strange familiarity. And I saw you actually got the opportunity to live there. So I wanted to ask if you had any strange experiences that come to mind while you were there or any favorite (laughs) memories from that time? Oh, of course. Yeah, lots of strange experiences. I mean, when you're learning a new language, you're living in a new place. Um, I remember one of my first weeks in my my little apartment, my tiny, I think it was like 100 square feet, my apartment, literally. It was so tiny. And I was okay with that. But I could not read the back of the instructions for how to make curry. So, you know, those little curry blocks that you buy in Japan, those little things you're supposed to like mix it in or you're supposed to boil it down, I think. I didn't understand that. So I, <laughs> I like put it in the rice and tried to mix it and it was still hard. So I'm eating like a block <laughs> of hard curry with rice that's poorly cooked in my rice cooker because I didn't know what I was doing. The washing machine was in Japanese. Everything was in Japanese and I couldn't read kanji at that point. So yeah, we had some, I had some interesting (laughs) fiascos there, but I loved it. 
Love Japan. Love the culture. Fascinating place. And good for you, at least for trying to, you know, cook the local cuisine more or less. I mean, going for what you could find at the supermarket, not trying to just stick to McDonald's or something like that is the bad travelers do. No, no, no. The food's too good there. (laughs) (laughs) I totally agree. It's definitely one of the top, probably top two or three places I've been as far as food. Like didn't have a bad meal the entire time I was there. Absolutely. Where did you where did you go in Japan when you were there? So I have to go back because I just went to Tokyo and the surrounding area. Um, so that was amazing. I mean, Tokyo is just so big that I felt like, you know, at just 10 days there, there was even more still that I could I could see if I were more time there. So it's amazing. But it's definitely captured my heart and I definitely want to go back to Japan. Excellent. I love it. Me too. We did We did a couple of live events in 2018 and 2019 there. And I was so happy to, to be back there after 10 years, right? Not living there. And it was cool getting off the airport in Narita and, and having our students there, our listeners, having a, an event, having a happy hour and, and bringing them through some learning. So it's, 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 it's an awesome place. And did you feel like your Japanese came back pretty easily or was it, were you pretty rusty? Yeah. I mean, I had studied, you know, because I was there and when you're an English teacher at the, you know, the Aikaiwas, the language schools, you usually don't start until the afternoon. So I said, I'm not going to waste my time and sleep late. I'm going to study Japanese in the morning. And so I did. I (laughs) found a community center and and showed up and learned with a a couple of other gaijin foreigners um, and just sat down, memorized my little kanji cards, but, you know, took the exam and passed kind of the basic level Japanese. But then if you don't maintain a language, as you know, uh, you just lose it. Yeah. Yeah. If you don't use it, you lose it for sure. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Actually, one of the things kind of related to that, that I wanted to ask you was if you have anything that worked really well for you learning. So you were studying it there at the center, right? Which I don't know if that was like kind of a traditional method. I don't know what exactly was your experience there. and, And did you find that that taught you anything also about your your own teaching? I think what helped me the most learning, honestly, any language. Also, I, I spent some time in South America. So learning Spanish, mm-hmm. living in Guatemala, living in a house in Argentina. What helps me the most, the thing that I absolutely need that I think our listeners, our students need to is inspiration in the sense that they need to see a model of the language being spoken and they need to kind of fall in love with that language. They need to see it. It needs to be in front of them, in front of their eyes and say, oh, wow, that's what that means. Make the connections and say, I want to be able to speak that way someday. So I think it's like the heart piece that's often missing in language learning that we try to bring it back to the heart, right? Involve your heart before you involve your mind. Mm -hmm. Does that make any sense? I'm not sure if that's clear. (laughs) Totally. Yeah. Yeah. We always talk about like a deep burning sense of purpose that you need to connect to. And I think that's probably something kind of similar is what is that that you can connect to deep within that's going to push you through those challenging times, right? Completely, completely. It's huge. So inspiration is the piece that helped me, uh, whether I was at work listening to my Japanese manager and her assistant manager talk to each other, right? Go back and forth. And I so wanted to be able to communicate with them. I was like, that sounds so cool. The language is fascinating. And I'm sitting there and I could catch a few words. And I just wanted to know because I was immersed in the culture. I wanted to know what they were saying. So I kind of fell in love with the idea of speaking and learning those words. So that's what I think Mm -hmm. we need. And you said, you mentioned a model, like having a model for your learning. Now, when you say that, do you mean another 
person from your country or another non-native who has learned language successfully that you can kind of emulate? Or what do you mean by that? That's a way of doing it for sure. I mean, there's a lot of great examples, especially if it's someone from your country that could even be more inspiring because it's someone who's done it. They've come from where you are and they've gotten over those hurdles. But what I meant when I said that was listening to conversation that's real. So for example, on our podcast, we give a model of real conversation back and forth fast. We don't really edit anything out. We leave the ums, we leave the ahs, we don't care because it's real. That's what I meant by sitting and listening to people that feel like your friends just talk to each other and having that kind of model and saying, that's the level I want to be at someday or close to that. So yeah, I definitely remember when I first started teaching and they made you teach with like these, these CDs that had yeah. the recorded audios and they're just so unnatural. I was like, how could anyone possibly learn to communicate in English because they're going to arrive in the USA or in Canada or the UK or whatever. And they're going to freeze up because people don't speak like that. So uh, I love that you're saying like the ums and the ahs and everything that's real English, right? I'd rather have that. I'd rather show our students. I think I think your listeners and your students, Ethan, are probably at a similar, similar level, right? The intermediate to advanced. Right. I'd rather show them the real English rather than spend time cleaning it up and making it perfect because again, it comes back to our value of connection, not perfection. We don't want to show you perfection because we're not perfect. We make mistakes, right? We know that as native speakers. Mm-hmm. So why, why strive for that? Totally. So that's a perfect place to jump into my next question. So I absolutely love your guys's sort of mantra, the connection, not perfection. Thank you. And I think there's so many language learners that need to hear that. Um, and I saw that that came out of you actually struggling yourself yes. with perfection. So I don't know uh, which language it might've been with, but when did you realize that this was affecting your own language learning and Uh, in a negative way? And how did that kind of change your strategy or your approach for learning that language? Yeah. And when I think about, so this came up organically during one of the early episodes, we just said it in an episode and we said, oh, wow, that's it. And we ended up just kind of nailing down that phrase, trademarking it. And just, we say it everywhere. It it so is true to what we believe, right? It just makes total sense. (laughs) So I think on that piece, I was never really a perfectionist, but I felt disconnected at times, right? So the disconnection. I remember being on a beach in Colombia. Uh, I was backpacking for a year through South America. I was with all native Spanish speakers from Spain and, and Colombia. Um, mm. And I remember they were, I was learning Spanish, but I wasn't quite at the point where I could understand a group of people on the beach, drinking, speaking fast, all that stuff, right? Um, and in that moment, I heard my name. I actually heard like someone say something about the US and there was laughter and I just wanted to know what they were saying. I felt so mm. disconnected. So w- the connection not perfection, the way I connect to that is I never want our learners to feel that, right? I never want language to get in the way of human connection. That's what that's all Mm -hmm. about. It should always be the number one goal is to maintain the connection. So if you make a mistake, don't drop your eye contact. Don't feel embarrassed. Don't move away. Look at the person in the eye and keep the connection going. It's up to you at that moment, whether you lose the connection or you keep it. Right, so we have a lot more control than we think we do. And was there anything that you found useful to keep that connection, as you're saying? So say that you were speaking Spanish and you made a mistake, how might you not lose the connection? I think just not, like, it's nice when you're at a level where you don't necessarily know that you're making mistakes. <laughs> you can keep speaking. <laughs> that is true. Uh, that is nice. It's like a veil of uh, naivete, right? You just don't know. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think having a, a sense of humor, approaching 
going into a conversation with a smile always relaxes me. And keeping that in the back of my head, like I actually want to know about this person, right? There's no way that we can connect if we're focused on our own mistakes. If you're back in your head analyzing the grammar mistake you just made, you are not able to ask a good question of that person in front of you, right? So actually your desire to get to know that person should be deeper than your own self-consciousness. Yeah. And what you're saying there too, I think that a lot of that is also about practicing the active listening, right? Yeah. So that you're present in that moment, listening to that person and not just in your head thinking about what am I going to say next? What's the next question? Or did I screw up? Did I make a mistake? Did I conjugate that verb right? Exactly. There's no space to do anything else if we are spending our time doing that. That's the bottom line. So that's why we say connection, not perfection. And yeah, I think it does help a lot of students to really focus on the right things at the right moment. Because why are we even learning a language? Exactly. Language is connection when it really comes down to it. So if you're too focused on having to speak it perfectly or having to never make a grammar mistake, then you're going to miss out on what it's all for. And it's true in, you know, just the last thing I'll say about this is that it's true in, in just as true in business as it is even in test prep, right? In the IELTS exam, you are in the speaking test, you still need to kind of connect in a way with the examiner, right? There are certain things you should and should not do, but it's a form of connection. So business, fluency, you know, all sorts of areas, it applies. It's not just general fluency. Most definitely. Yeah. Uh, and are there any tools or methods that you have found valuable in your own learning or uh, for students of yours in overcoming the perfectionist trap? Yeah. I mean, a lot of things, like I said, trying to do like a speaking first method. I think if we're talking to intermediate to advanced learners or listeners, um, we hosted a program, we called it Urban Immersion Adventures. We're not doing it anymore. We may start it up again. Um, and we had students come over to Boston and New York from Japan, from Paris, and we brought them through a weekend of language learning. And the method that I'm pointing to is actually being physically active. So this is something a little different from what maybe other teachers might talk about. I don't know. It's a reason I love podcasting as well. But we had our students, we set up an entire weekend where we brought them around the cities of New York and Boston we had native speakers come into the program and they had missions around the city, like scavenger hunts. They had to ask local people, oh, wow. stop them on the street. Um, they <laughs> had to order in a restaurant, right? We tried to simulate real life as much as possible. But what I thought was cool was the physical movement around the city paired with the learning. There's a lot of brain science that points to the fact that you absorb a lot more when you're moving physically. So that would be my method that I would recommend. When I learn anything new, I learn it by podcasts, not so much honestly, not as much uh, books, right? Or like written material. I need to get up, get out of my office and put something in my earbuds and just go. That's just me, but I think it's a good it's a good method to keep in mind for sure. Yeah, definitely a, a good reason to learn yeah. with podcasts, with audiobooks, with that kind of material, especially if you're very busy, that fits into your schedule just so well. Yeah. And something else you were saying there I thought was really interesting. You said you made them stop people, strangers on the street <laughs> and strike up conversation with them, right? Yeah. So what was people's reaction to you giving them that exercise? Because I can imagine people listening who maybe are introverted or they're shy might start like, you know, getting cold sweats just, just hearing the idea of that. I think you need to set people up for success, right? So this is this was a program where there was a pre-course that they had to do, preliminary course. They had to complete the All exercise. Right. They knew what they were going to be doing before they flew over to New York, right? Um, they We also built a nice environment with this value of connection, not perfection. So they 
they knew they knew what they were going to do. They had the support of the group. They knew they were going to come back and report on what happened. And honestly, a lot of the came, them came back. Nothing warms my heart more than to see a student work through their barriers, right? I remember the student Rodrigo from Brazil. He came back. He had talked to this guy in the north end of Boston, and he had talked to him like for 10, 15 minutes on a bench. And how cool, right? I'm sure he thought he never would have <laughs> been able to do that. So I think you need to set people up for success, create the the support structure, the values, and then then you push them, right? You send them. That, mm-hmm. At that point, they have to go. Just go. Do it and come back with something to tell yeah. me. <laughs> and I think about what you're saying there, too. That example that you gave of uh, Rodrigo going and talking to a person on benches. So many people are worried that they're going to start having conversation, especially with a native, but maybe with anyone. And they're really scared of that person judging them because of their accent, because of them making mistakes, uh, just because of the fact that they're a non-native speaker. And I think that most of your experiences, of course, you can meet people who are who are not very nice and stuff, and you could have a negative experience. But in the most part, I think if people go to the United States or you go to most countries, people are very helpful and you know For they're sure. going to they're going to be open if you're wanting to speak and if you have questions and things like that. So it's yeah. going to be pretty rare that people are going to really be judging you as a non-native speaker because totally. it comes back, I think, to the connection, right? I think you're right, Ethan. And it's so true. I think it comes back to this idea that we have total control over what we focus on in any given moment. So maybe <laughs> they are judging you, but if you're not thinking about that, that doesn't have to hinder your connection with them. It, it's about what you say, right? It's about what you do that opens the connection. So when you first approach them, maybe they'll think, oh, I can't speak with this student. Like, I, you know, I, it's not going to work. But then you say something or you make eye contact, you make a gesture, you ask them something about their lives, that's going to open it up. So who cares, right? If, they, if they're judging in the beginning, they're not judging at the end of that interaction. Of course. So just uh, shifting gear a little bit, uh, in another interview, I saw that you said that students should focus on something more than learning the language. They should do something with the language. Now, I think you've been talking about some examples of this a little bit, but what would you say that this means exactly? Yeah, I love this. I mean, it's similar to what I, the example of the urban immersion adventures um, or really any, I think it's what you mentioned before, Ethan, is purpose, right? Having a reason you're learning English and then go and use English to do something else. Like, we don't want our student, I'm sure you would agree, we don't want our podcast listeners, because you guys have a podcast too, right? We don't want them just listening to ESL podcasts, right? Obviously. We want them to, I mean, I just went to the podcast conference last week, I told you, in Nashville. There are so <laughs> right? many cool pod, it's insane what's happening right now in podcasting. There are so many cool, you know, true crime, um, health and wellness. There are so many cool podcasts out there, society and culture that you can find. And you should, so, so use your English to do something more interesting. Because I don't think that the mechanics of the language are really all that interesting. I'm interested in where the life our students can have once they have that language, right? (laughs) Yeah, that's like we say, don't just learn it, live it. So totally, I think that's a really perfect example of living your English is, for example, if you people are listening to this, so they already enjoy listening to podcasts and going out there and saying like, I really like cooking, so I'm going to find a podcast about cooking, or I really like playing tennis. I'm going to find some podcasts about tennis and they exist. I mean, probably any uh, reasonable hobby or interest that you have, there's going to be a podcast about that, a YouTube channel, a series on Netflix. You can totally find something 
that connects your English to your interests. Completely. And then even, right, take it to the next level and sign up for a class. If you live in a major international city, there may be a class, a a karate class or something in English. Whatever it is that you want to learn, playing cards, a meetup where they're playing, you know, meetups are a common recommendation. But if you're doing the thing you're passionate about using the language, you're going to learn so much faster. So I think, uh, yeah, I think you and I are really aligned on that. Ethan, this idea of the real use of the language, for sure. Yeah. And what you were saying is great. If you're living in an English-speaking country, get out there. And Mm -hmm. if there's something you've always wanted to learn, like go do it. And that's a great way to connect uh, an interest to your English. Even though I think if you're not living in an English-speaking country, I think that shouldn't be an excuse because you can find so many blogs and forums and places online in English, obviously, and where you can connect with other people who share the same interests as you. So I think you just have to be a little bit creative in finding these opportunities. I think so too. Ask around. Don't be afraid to ask people where are these things happening because they are happening in in places. It's just a matter of they may not be avail- like obvious where to go. So just ask around. Right. That too. You have to work yeah. through your network. Yeah. It's all about the network. <laughs> so... If you have like a learner who maybe just they're stuck or they just don't feel very motivated, uh, how do you feel that they could turn that around? Well, I think like we said before, coming back to why you're learning when it comes to, we do some IELTS exam prep. So we ask, as soon as our students join our course in IELTS, we ask them to go to our Facebook group and say, okay, why are you taking the exam? Like, connected to a larger goal. Don't just say, I want to get a band 7.5. No, why? What is your life going to look like when you achieve the band 7.5 and you move to Canada with your family, right? We ask them to write a nice paragraph and introduce themselves. So I think coming back to that larger larger meeting, like I said before, getting active, uh, finding the method that works for you. Podcasting works for me to learn, but maybe video is better for other people. So finding the method, finding the models, getting active, finding the purpose, these are all things I would recommend. Most definitely. Uh, and I'm going to come back to the the IELTS thing as well, because I something that you guys have expertise in that uh, a lot of the listeners would benefit a lot from. One of the things I saw is that you have experience in, and I believe you still do this with all ears, is doing sort of intercultural or cross-cultural training. Yeah. It's a mouthful. So how exactly does that work? And why would you say that it's useful? Yeah, that's a good question. So I actually studied uh, intercultural relations for my master's degree. So that's kind of why we we break into cultural. I just find it really interesting right after traveling, studying it a little bit. And then one, I feel like you can't talk on a podcast about a language without the culture. You just can't separate the two because if the ultimate goal is connection, whether it's in business or life, uh, culture is going to be a huge hindrance if you don't understand it. So I like to think of it as cultural fluency, right? It's cultural fluency. It's just as important as English fluency. So we don't do outright cultural training right now. We may in the future, um, but we integrate the cultural skills into our courses. So for example, in the business English course that we launched last summer, I interviewed Jennifer Kumar, who is, she is a consultant for Indian uh, U.S. business relations. So she trains Indian professionals to do business in the U.S. Um, And the module was on telephone English. So I asked her about some of the cultural barriers and things we need to know when we're on the phone uh, or even leaving phone messages or getting up to get a phone call in India versus the U.S. So I think the point is when it comes to culture, there's always a reason that things are done differently in that culture. And I think with COVID, we're a little at risk of kind of becoming a little like uh, 
I don't know, unaware of that because we're not traveling as much. Business trips aren't happening abroad. So we should always go below the surface. Why? It's history. It's the society. It's the economy. What is, okay, what's the thing that's done a little differently? Why is it done differently? There's always a good reason. That's my, that's my viewpoint on culture. Yeah. I find a really, when I've learned languages, I find something that's really useful for this is TV series actually, because, and movies to some extent, but I think TV series are always more digestible as in, as a language learner. And it can be such a great reflection of how people live in that country because it's, it tends to like follow, you know, uh, there's like Friends or Seinfeld or any of these classic sitcoms follow the lives of people who are living in that country and stuff. And so it can give yeah. you a good window into that culture if you don't actually live there. That's interesting. I've seen you guys have been doing some stuff with friends, right? Yes. <laughs> to understand the English on friends. That's pretty cool. So like, what would you say in terms of like the friend scenario? Cause it's always on TV when I, you know, I'm clicking around That's in the true. US, it's always on. Um, what would you say are like some of the cultural things that stand out to you about friends, about that show, about American culture or New York city culture? What do you think? Yeah. I don't know if it's like so true to New York City culture. I've never yeah. lived in New York. I think it's definitely an exaggeration of that, yeah. but there's still interesting things. And I think the characters come from, they're supposed to come from all over the United States. So bringing different parts of that, but yeah. a lot of it has to do with just the the humor. So Friends is really great for the the humor, obviously. And when you're first watching it, you might not laugh at every joke and stuff, but I think as you watch it more, and especially if you, you know, follow our lessons and stuff, we actually explain these things to you. That's cool. But uh, I think that the, the humor is a really big part of it. And I think just seeing kind of like how people react to different problems that they have, whether that's in dating or whether that's in their work and stuff. And you might find that these are different than how people might deal with an, a relationship in another culture and stuff. So interesting. there's all sorts of examples with this. I mean, it's 10, 10 seasons of like oh, 24 yeah. episodes per season. So it's like more than enough to really get an understanding of a lot of parts of American culture. Yeah. I think, I think you're right. Friends and Seinfeld are great examples, especially of humor, yeah. you know, um, that's good stuff. Hey there, Real Lifer. Have you downloaded the Real Life English app yet? On the app, Andrea and I will guide you beyond the classroom to live, learn, and even speak English in the real world. So how do we do this? To start with, you can listen to the Real Life English podcast and Beyond Borders talk show, even this very episode with digital transcripts so that you can follow along and develop your listening fluency. Plus, check dozens of definitions of all the most difficult vocabulary, idioms, phrasal verbs, slang, and so much more that you won't find anywhere else or in any other podcast. And how would you like to develop real-life speaking confidence at the touch of a button by speaking with other learners while making friends across cultures? Sounds like a dream, right? Well, now with the Real Life app, it will be a dream come true. Download the app to listen to our podcast with transcripts and definitions whenever and wherever you want and speak with people from all around the world. What are you waiting for? Join our global community today by clicking the link in the description of this podcast or by going to www.reallifeglobal.com app. That's A-P-P. Or simply search for the Real Life English app in the Google Play or Apple App Store today and let us guide you beyond the classroom to live and learn and speak English in the real world. Ah, yeah.
So you were talking a lot about um, intercultural, like for people, maybe if they're planning to move to the United States or Canada or they're traveling for business, imagining someone who maybe they, they're not planning to actually move abroad, maybe travel or something like that. And especially with COVID, how can people get exposure to this from their home country without actually having to move all the way across the sea? Do you have any techniques or any advice? Maybe someone can't actually find someone to coach them in this, but are there any ways that they could do that on their own at home? Yeah. I mean, of course, you know, if we want to get academic, there are standard, you know, there's been research done, <laughs> right, over the years, which it's, you know, research on people is always a little questionable because people are unpredictable and I don't love the dynamics of putting people into a bucket, right? Time oriented versus relationship oriented. Uh, you know, the way, the way people are using time, multitasking, doing multiple tasks at the same time versus linear use of time. Um, but you could start there. You know, there are some well-known researchers and names that, you know, we could look up and find those, the, that research that's been done. But then I think getting exposed to, I guess, joining groups and finding that target culture in your city, if you can, uh, just learning as much as you can also about the history of a culture. Uh, obviously, the structure of the language tells us a lot about the cultural values, like Japanese, as you know, um, there's a lot of, there's a mm -hmm. lot of ways. It's interesting. I don't feel like they use a lot of I. Um, and so like a de-emphasis of the individual is reflected right in their language. So we can learn a lot just from the way the language is structured. So looking at research, looking at the language, and then talking to people from, and asking why, like why, okay, you learn about a tradition or a way that someone handled a situation and then ask, why did you think of it that way? Because I would think of it this way, go into that deeper conversation. Yeah, can be definitely very useful too, I think on a global context, because people nowadays, you're much more likely to use your English with someone from Japan, Germany, Brazil, right. whatever the case is, than just strictly with Americans or strictly with British people. Uh, so I think that if you're able to build that skill set to be flexible, no matter what culture it is, to not maybe judge right away what you don't know, then that can also be, that's, that's almost like a, a sub skill set that you can you can build is, is just like that asking yourself when you have a doubt and, and not being so quick to judge, like stepping outside of it and asking questions, being curious. I think it's curiosity, right? It's kind of like a combination of curiosity that stems from empathy because you, you should always, I think that to be a good language learner and like a citizen in the world is like, we will always want to be thinking, why did someone do that? Or how are they feeling? What are they thinking right now? At least I'm always like consumed with what people are feeling or thinking, or why did they do that or not do that? Right. So like, there's a reason. And sometimes it is cultural or it's their personality, but yeah. So you mentioned being a citizen of the world. Would you consider yourself a global citizen? And if so, what does that mean to you? <laughs> well, I was going to ask you how you would define that. <laughs> and then I can tell you if I'm that. <laughs> um, yeah, I guess so. I've done a lot of traveling, more in my 20s than now. Um, but in the last few years, I've been able to take some great trips. And I think it's a way of thinking. So being curious about the world, um, wanting to learn new languages as much as possible. I'm often consumed with my work here. So there's not a ton of extra time <laughs> to focus on Spanish. I feel you. All right. Yeah, I'm sure you do. Um, but yeah, I think it comes down to just an, being interested and wanting to know, oh, this is done differently. Why is that? Right. So I would say, yeah, I'm a citizen of the world. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. I would say 
based on what you're saying, a lot of it is just kind of the value set that you hold. So like you're saying, you've mentioned uh, so far, like curiosity, empathy. I think those are really big ones. And there, there's a quote that we use a lot that's kind of, I think being a global citizen is basically that no matter what divides us, that which unites us is far greater. So it's it's that's kind of like the, the ultimate and everything. And that's a really difficult ideal to live up to, obviously, yeah. because you, even if you're just in your home country, I mean, there's, there's people that you're not going to always see eye to eye with. Yeah, for Obviously sure. when we have elections and things like that, that becomes even that gap gets stretched out. Right. Uh, but trying, you know, a little bit to, to build that mindset that, you know, as human beings, we're so much more similar than we are different. And we need to start following that more. Exactly. It, there's, there's core human needs and people just kind of get to them in different ways, right? So their behavior looks different and we may not agree with their behavior, but if you get down to the problem they think they're solving with what they're doing, I feel like we can have that empathy at that point. Exactly. If you start from that place of curiosity and you're asking questions and stuff, then yeah, you'll get to that place where you're like, okay, I, I understand. I might not do it the same way as you, but I can see where you're coming from. And that's so satisfying. That is life, right? That's the point. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So comes back to the connection. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So just as we're uh, wrapping up the main part of the interview, um, I promised to come back to exams and IELTS in particular. So one of the things I'm really curious about is I think, I mean, you, you were talking about motivation and purpose as it comes to this exam and, and knowing why you're doing it beyond just like, I want to get the score in it, um, which are very like external motivations. But with a test like this, how can someone maybe make studying for it fun, culturally relevant, and connection-based, which I imagine is what you guys bring to the table with it. So I think having a system where you are being, well, you're, you're organized. So you have a study plan. You're being told exactly what to do each day by someone who knows the exam so well, right? That's the first part. Um, you have a schedule it's not an easy test. So when students come to us and they say, can I pass in a month if I study 10 minutes a day? You absolutely cannot. <laughs> it's not an easy, like, the, you know, sometimes I'll see courses out there that say 20 minutes a day of study and we'll get you to your bit. No, it doesn't work. You have to learn the strategies at minimum 30 days, a couple hours a day for us, right? Um, but I think the other key, so being organized, knowing what you're doing, taking the personal responsibility as an adult to sit down and do the work, and then coupling that with a community. So right now we like to use Facebook groups for all of our courses, especially for the IELTS course, because that's a place you can come, you can share your wins. You just did a practice test and your score increased on writing, or you just got your target score and now you're moving on. Um, and you see, students see other students achieving these wins and that's huge. So community is the way and having like a clear, whether it's on a website, it's a, a kind of a community-based website or whether it's just in a Facebook group, some place where you're connected with others doing the same thing is the way to do that. Yeah. That's that's really great. So say that someone, they've they've passed the exam, they've gotten the score that they wanted. Yeah. Where do they go mm -hmm. from there in, in, cause it's okay. You've built, you've built the skills to pass the exam, but yeah. how does that intersect with the, the skills to use the language for connection, to use it right. for 
learning about cultures and to actually have it be something that's significant to your life. Yeah, for sure. So logistically, they usually know exactly what they're doing. They've already booked their flight. They're ready to go. They're packing their bags. Oh, their spouse or kids are waiting for them, right? They are ready. And that's why this can be a stressful exam because they everything's on the line for themselves and their families, their futures, right. their careers. They have to get this score. So we have a lot of empathy there. But the interesting thing about passing IELTS is that you can't just learn test strategy, right? There are very specific things that you have to do. For example, speaking part two, you have to tell a story for two minutes. Speaking part three, you have to use more advanced vocabulary, talk about societal issues. That's test strategy. That's 50% of your battle. And then the other piece is fluency. You can't just learn test strategy because you won't have the fluency to pass the exam. So hopefully you've been learning both test strategy and fluency during that time. And then you just ex extend your fluency learning right, by involving more learning with real, real natural English, I would say. So that's kind of how I would do that. Um, you pass a test, you move on. The IELTS is nothing like even academic writing. If you, you know, in college, we wrote essays, right? IELTS is not even like that. It's different. It's its own animal. It's not like TOEFL. It's not like any other test. So we have to learn that and then we pass and then we kind of throw it away and we move into the fluency. Right. And for you, so you're saying you need fluency for the exam as well. Yes. I mean, it's not enough just to do practice questions and writing exercises. So where does that come from? Where is like if the person, they've got everything else down, but that's what they're, I imagine that's what a lot of learners are struggling with still. How, how might you design a student's life to, to have success in that? So the way we do it is we have, so my colleague, Jessica, um, was an examiner for 14 years. So she built our study plan oh, wow. based on, yeah, based, <laughs> based on that insight. She's amazing. Um, and so she understands what students actually need. You know, she's graded thousands of writing tests, speaking exams. So she built the study plan, uh, that we use balancing out the fluency, especially the longer the 60-day plan. So I don't need to get into details about it, but when you have more time to study, you have more time to spend on fluency. Um, so we balance the lessons, doing the actual video lessons with uh, using outside resources, assignments, reading newspaper articles, and then doing very specific things that are going to uh, build that one or two fluency, those fluency skills. Does that make sense? Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's, it's very specific activities. And I think the most important thing is having a plan, like knowing, cause I think we can sit down and we can say, I've reserved this time to study IELTS. Then we go online and we're messing around on YouTube and we're learning all these different strategies that don't work together. You learn a strategy for the first part of writing task one, and it doesn't work for the conclusion strategy you learned. That doesn't work. You need to dedicate yourself to a plan, one teacher, one system. Um, no. I think it's dangerous to jump around and we don't have that much time. As adults, we don't have time to jump around online. Yeah. Yeah. For most of us, that's going to economize it a lot. And it's going to, I feel like it would also relieve a lot of that stress because you you have a plan, you're going to go through it and everything. It's step one, step two, step three. And I Completely. think in general, as people, when we have something like that, it, it really helps us just to feel more at ease. Yes, completely. I mean, I think it's not just for IELTS, it's for any kind of learning. Yeah, yeah. 50% of the mental battle and the mental bandwidth, they say that mental bandwidth, like uh, willpower has an end in the day, right? Do you find this, Ethan? I don't know if you're like more, more of a morning person or an oh, evening person. Are most you, definitely. I'm definitely morning? a morning person. And okay. by the night, it's like- <laughs> You're done, <laughs> no right? More, no more hard activities. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so me too. I find that I sit down at 8 a.m. If I can work until about two or three, and then I start to feel I have no, I have nothing left. I'm done. So if we're spending half our time 
we sit down at 8 a.m. to study for IELTS or fluency or business English. We're trying to find the resources. Who do we trust? What do we do? That's going to use half your bandwidth, half your uh, willpower. Instead, just go straight to what you've been told to do and do it. <laughs> That's what I think we need to do. Yeah. And I love that too. You mentioned before, like newspaper articles, that idea of connecting it to things that you're actually going to, depending on your interests and stuff, but that you're actually going to encounter in your in, in, like when you're using your English out in the real world and stuff. So yeah. using TV series, using newspaper articles, using videos and things like this that help to really prepare you for the real world. Mm -hmm. Because the other thing about, I'll just, one last thing I'll say about IELTS is that uh, you have to have ideas in your mind for the exam because you're going to be asked, you know, you have a writing test, one question, test two, especially test two and all the speaking tests. You actually need material. You need to know what's going on in the world. What do I say when I answer this question about museums, right? What do I, this random question, you need something to say. So if you have a culture of thinking that we call it, you've been reading around, you have ideas popping up easily. Mm -hmm. So that takes care of that part and then builds your fluency to have interesting conversations later. So most definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so just in wrapping up the the interview before we get into the game for the day. I'm just going to ask you one rapid fire question. Okay. So what's an aha moment that you find a lot of your students have? So thinking about, you know, learning from real material, I think it's when they realize it's okay if you are learning from a natural clip of real natural English, uh, people speaking fast, they realize it's okay to go back again and listen again, but eventually they kind of catch on to it and, and then they've developed their ear for that. So it's kind of when they challenge themselves, you know, we, some of our material is kind of hard, actually, to be honest, it's pretty tough. So we tell people, go back, listen to the video two or three times, and that is okay, even if you're advanced, because this is background noise, right? There's noisy festivals and there's just a lot going on, but that's real. So once they give mm -hmm. themselves permission to not understand it the first time they go back, that's when they have the aha moment and that's when the real improvement actually happens. Yeah. I think along with that, so many learners struggle with that they want to be able to watch a TV series without subtitles or listen to a podcast or whatever the case is. And they want to be able to understand that as if it were their first language and stuff. And it's that barrier between the challenge and the reality of things in some sense. So it's it's really needed to come back to the reality. It's like, you're going to need to do some hard work for in order to be able to understand this the same that you would your native language. But totally. something I've actually found uh, an aha moment that I've had in some sense is just that when I do watch TV series in English with subtitles, I realize that there's a lot of things that I miss when I'm not watching with subtitles, but it's like, I don't care because it's like, I understand the entire message through the context, even though there's a few words that I've missed. And so I'd say for like learners about this, like don't beat yourself up because you're not understanding every single word. It doesn't matter. You just need to get to the point where you can understand like 75%. And once you do that, then you'll be more comfortable being able to watch and get enough of it through the context. Exactly. It's kind of similar to the mentality of, of building a company, right? As the owner of a company, you can't have your eyes on every single little thing. You just can't. You have to have, this is, this is good. My team's taking care of it. It's okay. I get stuck down a lot of rabbit holes and all there's English, right? Bill, making sure I know what's going on with everything, but I need to take a broader perspective. And I think our learners at this level would benefit from that idea too. Take a broader perspective, get the general idea and then connect. That's the key. So, yeah. And how might you balance that out too with the 
perfectionism thing, because I think a lot of that comes out of the perfectionism and probably even generates a lot of stress for people that they're thinking, okay, like I want to be able to watch a TV series and, and understand it fully. And I want to be able to write really well. And I need to be able to read really well. And I need to have perfect grammar. There's yeah. all these different things, these aspects that go into having competent English. Yeah. Well, I think, I think that you do kind of need the evidence. I'm all for self-study, right? It's good. We do a lot of self-study at Allers English, but I think you need to prove to yourself that connection matters more than perfection, you need the evidence of having an experience where you connected and you found joy in that moment so that you want your brain wants more of that and wants less of the hanging on to the, the perfection and the details, right? So I think that we need to couple our learning with materials like TV or podcasts with an actual live experience, whether that's joining a program, whether that's just getting on iTalkie and finding an, uh, you know, a teacher to work with, whatever it is. Um, I do think we have to see ourselves connecting and then you want to connect again and again, that becomes your value and your goal, not sitting and making sure I don't miss anything in this recording or this right. video or this sitcom or something. Yeah. If you can kind of create those small wins for you, then it makes it a lot easier the time when you need to, if you're studying for IELTS, like the hard work you have to put in to do the different exercises and stuff. And, or yeah. even if it's just trying to iron out, you know, the problems that you have with your grammar or with small aspects or watching that same scene of a series over and over again to try to understand it. If you yeah. can create these actual moments of where you've had a successful conversation or you've listened to a podcast and you understood 80% of it, then yeah. it's going to make all of that difficult, deliberate practice a whole lot easier because you'll, you'll have the motivation to push you through it. Totally. That's the key. So it's kind of like we have to trick our minds into getting attached to something new, something else, another way of thinking. And then we're on the right track, but we need an experience to put ourselves on that track. So, well, I think that's a perfect place for us to move into a bit of a lighter part of the interview. We're going to play a game. Um, I believe it's called Word Sneak. So this is actually the first time we're doing this one. So just to explain to you how it'll work. So I'm going to have Andrea come on and she's going to actually moderate this, but we both will have a couple minutes to talk about a certain subject. And during that time, we have to use certain funny or awkward or unusual words as casually as possible. So we won't actually know the words beforehand. Andrea's going to basically... We'll both be looking at our own page and Andrew is going to kind of like uncover the words for us privately uh, before moving on to the next one once we've said it. So we will also, you and I are going to try to comment when we believe the other person has snuck a word in there. So I think this will become more clear while we're playing it, but okay, are All you right. ready? Okay, let's just do it. Let's go for it. <laughs> Once you start the conversation, I'll just reveal, um, I'll reveal words as we go through and you guys have to obviously guess like what's the word you're trying to sneak in. So what was the first foreign language that you learned, Lindsay? The first foreign language that I learned was a language where I learned the word bijou, which I believe means kisses in French. <laughs> 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 or something oriented that's word, to right? kisses. That's probably, <laughs> that's the random word. Um, okay. So, you know, when it comes to learning languages, we can't succumb to self-consciousness and being scared of connecting, right? That's what we talked about on the show today. Exactly. Yeah. The When I was uh, learning German, that was like the first foreign language that I learned. I definitely was very awkward at the beginning because it was, I knew how to 
basically write the language and stuff, but I was never taught pronunciation. So I had to write things down all the time. Like uh, when I was trying to talk about like a tree branch and stuff and I was trying to, you know, say it in German, people can understand me. I had to write it down. Is tree branch your word? It's just like, that's <laughs> yeah. a little out of the... <laughs> okay. So when it comes to learning a language, I know exactly what you mean, Ethan. The point is we can't get stuck in the mud, right? We can't get stuck in the mud. We got to <laughs> keep moving forward <laughs> and keep our heads up. Um, that yeah, was that was much better than much better than mine. That one was pretty easy right there. Uh, so Ethan, what would you say? Are there any languages that are just nearly impossible to learn? I mean, you know, for example, when we learn things like state slogans, Georgia, the peach, the state of, you know, the state of Georgia is known for peaches. Uh, when we, when <laughs> would you recommend when it comes to learning a language that we should learn about the culture as well as uh, the language. What do you think? Yes, I think it's absolutely necessary to learn about the culture. I mean, I think that if you don't learn about the culture, it's very meaningless. The, the language loses meaning. I think, Andrea, the, the word that I have, I don't know if that's a real word. Yeah, I had to look it up as well. Okay, I'll give you another one. <laughs> but I think, a, you know, a really important part of learning the language is just being very present and and having gratitude at the experience, at the opportunity to have the experience of learning a language. Is gratitude your word there? I think you're getting easy words over there, Ethan. <laughs> peach. I'm getting so, peach. <laughs> the one, the one that nobody knew is uh, tofu bohu. Tofu bohu. It sounds like um. To- tofu bohu. Like a marketing term or a Japanese word, either of the two. <laughs> Apparently, it's North American. It means a state of chaos or utter confusion. Oh my gosh. Mm. Yeah. I would not know that. Okay, that's great. I don't know how. <laughs> Nia put this together too, and she's from Brazil originally. So I'm very impressed yeah. that she she got a word on there that stumped us. Yeah, very <laughs> impressive. <laughs> oh, that's another very challenging one. <laughs> you guys have done a great job so far. I'm super <laughs> impressed. Really? Oh man, these are fun games. This is fun. Let's see if I can use this one correctly. Um, when learning a language, too, I think it, it's really important to. Make sure that you are learning about things that are relevant to your life. You know, that not things that are maybe moot points or anything like that. Moot point? Was that your word right there? <laughs> <laughs> you know, sometimes I just... very challenging one. Yeah, moot point is good. A moot point. Yeah, that's a great word too. Um, all right, here's one. This one's a little easier. So sometimes I am just flabbergasted by how fast students can learn when they listen to podcasts. Was it flabbergasted? Flabbergasted. <laughs> that's yeah. a great one. Yeah. That's a great, that's actually a great word. That's a yeah. fun word. Yeah. So I think I just have one left. So one of my favorite languages to learn was Portuguese. When I was in Brazil, it's such a musical language. And one of the really great things I remember about living in Brazil that I haven't had as much in other places is that it's so tropical and you always have fresh fruit. Like my favorite thing to get there, my favorite cocktail is actually called a, uh, what is it called? Caipi maracujá, which maracujá is the the Portuguese word for passion fruit. Uh, Tropical is your word? Or no, passion fruit is your word. I'm not sure which. Passion fruit. Passion fruit. (laughs) Oh, that was a tricky one. Nice job, Ethan. (laughs) This is a real game for language nerds, like word nerds. I love words. You probably love words, (laughs) Ethan. Like we're in our element here. (laughs) It's better than playing a math game or something. Don't suggest that. (laughs) No, no, no. Numbers is not my thing. Me neither. Me neither. So do you use this? Do you use this with your students, Ethan, in live... Um, I 
have never used it. I hadn't heard of it before, but uh, Nia, who helps to prepare, I mean, she does like a lot of the research and she usually proposes the games. Uh, she was the one who proposed this. And I think she said she used to use it with her students to have them practice cool. new words that they were learning in the, in the class. And it's kind of like a fun way to put them to practice. It's really cool. And it also makes me think of a lot of students at the advanced level say they struggle when the topic kind of changes gears, like it kind of moves mm. to a slightly different subtopic. And this would be a good way to practice that too. How do you intertwine everything and still stay on track and still understand what's being said? And use exactly. that vocab. Yeah. And you can see that's difficult even for native speakers. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Good stuff. So just before I leave you guys, you did an amazing job. There was only one of Lindsay's words that you didn't catch, um, Ethan. So she oh, kind of snuck that one in. Yeah. It was when she was talking about, is it Georgia is known for peaches? Georgia peaches. <laughs> that's the only thing that came to mind when I saw peach on there. Okay. Talk about Georgia. See if we can <laughs> transition. Yeah. Yeah. It was a good sneaky one. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, almost got well you with done. passion for it. Yeah, that was good. That was good. I have to say. Very cool. Lindsay, before we wrap up today's conversation, I just want to see if you have any asks for our audience. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, So my ask today for our audience, I guess I'm coming back to connection, not perfection. That's for me what it all comes (laughs) back to. So my ask for you guys is start to change your focus away from the perfection towards the connection, right? Find that moment that motivates you where you did have a connection, you ask someone a question, you learn something about them, and then use that as your starting point to say, I want more of that and less mm-hmm. of the getting stuck in your, you know, in your at your desk and worrying about grammar and, and feeling like you're doing things wrong. Focus on that. We can choose what to focus on in any moment. So focus on that. That's my ask. That is a fantastic ask. So <laughs> Definitely to it. People should go and check out your podcast. I mean, if they listen to podcasts and they haven't heard of All Ears English, then you might have been living under a rock or something. (laughs) uh, Definitely to learn more about Connection on Perfection, to learn more about IELTS. But where else can people find you? Yeah. So I guess the best place, if you are a podcast listener, would be just to search in wherever you listen for podcasts, All Ears English podcast. And then you can also come back to our website. It's allearsenglish.com. So... Fantastic. So thanks so much for all of your great insights today, Lindsay, and for really just helping learners to overcome that perfection and that being stuck in their head and learn to use the language for what it's really for. 100%, Ethan. Thanks for having me on. I've enjoyed our chat. Thanks a lot. Thanks so much for joining me today. I hope you enjoyed the interview. You can find all the mentioned links and resources from this show on the show notes at reallifeglobal.com. It is also linked in the description of this episode. If English fluency is important to you, then remember to check out our Real Life app, where you can practice listening to native speech and speak with other learners from around the world, while also discovering new cultures. In addition to that, you can get a full interactive transcript and vocabulary for this interview. You will find that linked in the description or just search for Real Life English in the Apple App Store or Google Play Store. For now, remember that no matter what divides us, that which unites us is far greater. See you on the next show.